So Daniel chapter 11 and verse number 36, and this is the ESV translation. And the king shall do as he wills. He shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god and shall speak astonishing things against the god of gods. He shall prosper till the indignation is accomplished for what is decreed shall be done. He shall pay no attention to the gods of his fathers or to the one beloved by women. He shall not pay attention to any other god for he shall magnify himself above all. He shall honour the God of fortresses instead of these. A God whom his fathers did not know, he shall honour with gold and silver, with precious stones and costly gifts. He shall deal with the strongest fortresses with the help of a foreign God. Those who acknowledge him, he shall load with honour. He shall make them rulers over many and shall divide the land for a price. At the time of the end, the king of the south shall attack him, but the king of the north shall rush upon him like a whirlwind with chariots and horsemen of many ships, and he shall come into countries and shall overflow and pass through. He shall come into the glorious land, and tens of thousands shall fall, but these shall be delivered out of his hand, Edom and Moab and the main part of the Ammonites. He shall stretch out his hand against the countries and the land of Egypt shall not escape. He shall become ruler of the treasures of gold and of silver, and all the precious things of Egypt and the Libyans and the Cushites shall follow in his train. The news from the east and the north shall alarm him, and he shall go out with great fury to destroy and devote many to destruction. And many, sorry, and he shall pitch his palatial tents between the sea and the glorious holy mountain. Yet he shall come to his end with none to help him. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince, who has charge over or charge of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble, such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase." Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others stood, one on this bank of the stream and one on that bank of the stream. And someone said to the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream, How long shall it be till the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times, and half a time. And that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. I heard, but I did not understand. And I said, O my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? He said, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly. And none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. And from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1,335 days. But go your way till the end and you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. And that's our reading. Some of it quite complicated and as usual in Daniel, if you take that just out of its context without filling in the gaps... Um, it can really be hard to understand. 
But we're kind of cutting into where we left off last time, which is that we're speaking about a picture of the Antichrist who's yet to come in a future day that's spoken of in a lot of the New Testament prophetic scriptures. We know him as the Antichrist. And if you're going to ask someone about um, biblical prophecy or things that the Bible say are going to come, then people might speak about the apocalypse, uh, the uh, you know, the horsemen of the apocalypse, they might speak about 666 or things like that. And they may well speak about the Antichrist or Antichrist in character. He goes by many names in the Bible. And there are also forerunners, just as God's Christ has many names and forerunners. So too does the Antichrist. So Christ, the Lord Jesus, and then Satan's man, Antichrist is a kind of mirror image, a counterfeit of the Lord Jesus Christ that Satan is going to bring onto the world stage in a future day and is going to try and mimic what the Bible says about the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, for example, we've come across this chap, this man uh, in Daniel chapter 7, he's called the little horn. In Daniel chapter 9, he's called the coming prince. In the New Testament, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, he's called the man of lawlessness. In Revelation chapter 13, he's called the beast, and he is going to build a global empire over a seven-year period. He will eventually exalt, magnify himself even above God and above any God that is worshipped. He'll put himself into a rebuilt temple, according to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and that rebuilt temple in Jerusalem, he'll go right into the holiest of all, and he will sit and expect to be worshipped as God. Shall I say, not bad, that's five minutes. I didn't know if she would last that long anyway. So he's self-centred, he's arrogant, he's uh, the epitome of sin and lawlessness. He's everything Christ, or he's, he's not the same as the Lord Jesus. What the Lord Jesus excels in, he is the exact opposite of. He's vengeful, he's arrogant, he's depraved, and he belongs to be worshipped as God. Now, when you come to this section in Daniel, we're introduced to him again and to one of the great forerunners in history that pictures him. And we've spoken about this man before, Antiochus Epiphanes. And he is in the book of Daniel and he's a picture of that coming Antichrist. And we're going to see that when you come to verse number 36, which we began to read and which we broke into last time, You've had a little section, and let me just sort of map this out for you and then we'll move into some detail. You had this little section from verse number um, 20 down when Daniel had revealed to him some of the things that were going to happen to the nation of Israel in a coming day. So here's the, here's the big idea, here's the big picture in context. You remember, and I've said this many times, but you remember Daniel is in Babylon. Daniel comes from Jerusalem. He is of the nation of Israel and he's in captivity in Babylon and he's flourished there, but he's far from home. And some of Daniel's um, countrymen have been allowed um, to travel from Babylon back into their land, Canaan, the promised land. They've been taken from there, and then after 70 years of captivity, some of them have gone back. And Daniel's expectation is that the prophetic word of Jeremiah, the prophet, is now being fulfilled, and that surely Israel is going to prosper and all be well with this remnant going back. Now, that's not how it turned out. 
When they got back, times were tough, and Daniel was confused by it. And we've been looking into these chapters of Daniel. As Daniel's been in prayer before God, he's been anxious about it, he's been confused, perplexed, and he's been seeking answers from God as to what is happening in Israel. And some of the answers is just that unfold, unfolded in these visions. Uh, and the answer is, look, it's bad, but things are going to get even worse than they are, Daniel. And he has outlined to him some of the things that we can look back on in the history of Israel and some of the things that are yet to happen for Israel in the world stage. And they're revealed in this vision that we've been reading from in the book of Daniel. Now, when we come to this section, he's been speaking about this um, figure of history that we can look back and in the history books to called Antiochus Epiphanes who was a great enemy of the children of Israel and wreaked havoc with them, did terrible things to them, caused great slaughter amongst them. And we've been reading in the last Bible class about the description of what he would do. You remember there was the king of the north and the king of the south and so on, and they had battles, and in the middle was Israel, and Israel was caught up with it, and then um, terrible things happened to them. But there's a change of expression in the section of verse 36, and the change of expression has gone from this expression, the time appointed prior to verse number 36, to a different expression that's really um, at the time of the end. Because in verse 35, verse 14 dominates chapter 12. And so the language changes, is what I'm saying. And we discover that he's not now speaking about Antiochus Epiphanes. He's speaking at a time way beyond Antiochus Epiphanes. In fact, way beyond even where we are in history. He's speaking directly about the Antichrist that's yet to come. So, Daniel, if things are going to get hard in the short term, and they have been hard for Israel in that short term, things are going to get terrible, and he's, he's looking forward to the Antichrist. He's looking forward to what we know as the time of tribulation that's going to take place on earth. That seven-year period that I've referenced so often. And that seven-year period is referenced here, particularly in chapter 12. We'll come to that just in a few moments. But look at these verses from verse 36 down, and we discover that there are, there's a description of the Antichrist here. Now, this is a description of a person, but it's also descriptive of the character of this person. And that character is actually the same spirit of our age. The spirit of our age is anti-God, anti-Christ. Now, we know that because Paul said this, there's coming a person, the man of lawlessness, the Antichrist, but that spirit is already at work in the world. It's going to be uh, epitomized, it's going to be characterized and seen in its fullness in this individual, but the actual spirit of that permeates our world today. That's the spirit of our age. Now, some things about that. Notice in verse number 36, he does whatever he wants to do. So he just pleases himself. The Antichrist will not be bound by authority other than his own in a coming day. And so this is Satan's man who will just burst onto the world stage. The Bible says he has a revelation. He has a manifestation, just like the Lord Jesus did when he came. He's going to come and he will burst onto the world stage and he will not be bound by convention or authorities. He'll just do exactly what he pleases. Now, that's the spirit of our age. 
Spirit of our age is basically anti-authority, self-indulgence. He'll do whatever he wants. He's an ego, egotistical maniac, really. And secondly, he will exalt and he'll magnify himself above every god. So he sees himself as divine. So he sees himself as doing whatever he wants, but more than that, he sees himself as not even being subject to the authority of God or a God. So he will exalt himself as a divine person. Now this, is a, this is a person that will come onto the scene of history. He will say outrageous things against the God of gods. So he is anti-God. So he pleases himself. He won't be bound by convention or authority. He will also exalt himself as divine. And he will speak against the living God. He will oppose him. He will be a, a blasphemer. It also says this, that he shall speak astonishing things against the God of gods. He shall prosper till the indignation is accomplished and it means that's God's ultimate judgment that will come upon the earth which is that he's going to flourish and prosper and grow in power and grow in influence until God brings his reign to an end in judgment he will also exonus says this pay no attention to the God of his fathers so he's probably an apostate Jew although commentators uh, debate that but this expression would indicate probably that he's an apostate Jew because that expression, the God of his fathers, is, a, is an expression that occurs elsewhere in Daniel to speak about the living God. And so he is not going to, perhaps if he's born as a Jew, he's not going to respect even the God of his heritage. Nor the desire of women, which is this. It's a difficult expression to translate but he will not even favour normal marital relationships, nor will he respect any authority or God. His arrogance is so self-centred that one commentator says it renders him incapable of the loving devotion of anyone, even within a marital relationship. He's so taken up with himself. He's anti-Christ. Now, of course, the Lord Jesus is the polar opposite of all of that. The Lord Jesus was subject, when he came here as a man upon earth, was subject to his father. The Lord Jesus is one who, who operated within the, the conventions that, that God had established here upon earth and was respectful of authority and so on. So the Antichrist is that. He's just opposite. He's Antichrist. But notice in verse number 38, the sorts of things he does respect and will respect, which is this. But in his estate, it says this, verse 38, he shall honour the God of fortresses, as it says in, verse, in the ESV translation. The authorised says the God of force. And so instead of the living God, what he respects is violence. What he respects is force. And that's the only thing he respects. And that is a God whom his fathers knew not. That is something that was different. And he honours might and power that war can bring. So if you think about this individual that's going to appear in the world stage, when's he going to appear? Well, other scriptures tell us that we will not be here when he appears. 
that the church will be raptured to glory. We'll be gone. And when we are gone, then he shall be, he shall be revealed. That's 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And the presence of the church into up the Spirit of God on earth is holding back the revelation of the man of sin, as he's called, the man of lawlessness. But when that restraint, he which now letteth, shall let until he be taken out of the way, that is the church indwelt by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God's permanent residence on earth is the church, is us. When we are gone, then the spirit of lawlessness which permeates society now will have no restraint upon it and will have free course and the man of sin will rise into prominence. Now, he may already be alive, but he certainly is not in a position of authority today. But he could well be alive today. If we were to be raptured tonight, then very quickly he would dominate world proceedings. And in verse number 39, it tells us what he will do thereafter. It says that he shall deal with the strongest fortresses with the help of a foreign god. Those who acknowledge him, he shall load with honour. He shall make them rulers over many and shall divide the land for a price. So the idea is just this, with force, he's going to crush force. So he will bring himself to the fore by military force, by power, and he will dominate by power. He will reward those who join his coalition, he will honour them, he will distribute rewards by land and so forth. When you look into it in some detail, you describe this, it's the ultimate aim of a totalitarian government and society. It's the ultimate fascist, communist, whatever extreme ideologically ideology, it's the kind of way that they operate, which is to dominate and to crush and then to reward those who fall in beside, he'll be the ultimate in that sort of thing. And he will dominate and he will crush in this way. And that domination, that crushing, is described from verse 40 down to verse number 44 with his unbridled conquest. Now just look very quickly at this. So what is described from verse 40 down to verse 44, without necessarily going into the details of this section, is the final struggle, if you like, at the end times. It's probably a, it's probably a whole campaign in view, probably not just a single battle. And the precise details are not given in this section. But the character of Antichrist is just this, is he's going to dominate by violence and force and conquest. Let me just summarise what these verses say. In verse number 40, and I'll just go through it quite quickly, this king of the north, this Antichrist as he's described, will be attacked by the king of the south, but he'll win a resounding victory. That's verse 40. And this will allow him to advance into other countries and he'll sweep through them like a flood. So this is his campaign described. Then in verse 41, he'll invade Israel, which is called the beautiful land, and he will bring violence and destruction and death to Israel in that day. Then in verse 42, down to verse number 43, he extends his power, and he extends it beyond all the countries, and he is on the verge of an overwhelming victory that's described in Revelation 13, and for a time he's going to rule the world, the whole world, in that day. Yet verse 44, something alarms him. And then his reign is brought to a sudden end. 
And that's in verse number 45. So that's just a quick summary. And the idea is just this. Daniel's listening to this. And Daniel is hearing about the future for his people Israel. And then he hears this. So this is bad. This is terrible. And it's going to be terrible. There's going to be that seven-year period that if you go into the book of Revelation and you read from chapter um, the end of chapter 6 through to chapter uh, 16, 17, you have a full description in detail of that seven-year period, literal seven-year period. And you've got the whole uh, judgment of God falling upon the earth in that time of tribulation. And the idea is that God is dealing with the earth in that way of direct judgment. And he's bringing tribulation upon the earth, trouble. So there's the whole description um, of ecological disasters and wars and rumours of wars. That's all in that time period. And you've got this whole idea of earthquakes, famines, disease, um, deadly animals and so forth. And it's getting faster and worse. And for seven years it goes like that. And part of all of that is the rise of this Antichrist. So for the first three and a half years, all's well in relation to him and Israel. He's, he's dominating, he's conquering, etc. And then he turns all his force um, halfway through that seven-year period upon Israel. And that's when he seeks to be worshipped as God. And that's where Israel becomes the full focus of his wrath and fury. Now all of that's given to Daniel and it's terrible. But when you come to chapter 12, you discover this, and this is really the point of tonight. You discover that there is hope and comfort given to Daniel for his people for that coming day. And this isn't easy stuff to read, but there is comfort in what God does for that nation of Israel in that coming day. So it says this in verse 1 of chapter 12, that at that time, at what time? At that time of tribulation. At that time when Antichrist is to the fore. At that time when the church is gone. At that time when world power headed up by Antichrist has focused all its uh, economic and military power against Israel to crush Israel and destroy Israel. You've heard of Armageddon. All these sorts of things are involved in all of that. And Israel is just about to be destroyed. But he cannot destroy Israel for this reason. At that time shall arise. Michael, the great prince, who has charge over your people. You know, Israel has suffered terribly throughout history as a people. They've suffered from empires in the Old Testament. We've seen some of them. In the New Testament, from the Herods and the Hitlers and all of these um, sort of historical awfulness that came upon Israel They've suffered and suffered and suffered as a people. But the hard reality is that the worst suffering is yet to come. <coughs> Beyond even what they suffered um, in the 20th century. The Lord Jesus spoke about this in Matthew 24. Matthew 24 and 25 is the tribulation period seen from the uh, human perspective. The Lord Jesus is saying to his disciples who represented the nation of Israel, when you see these things happen here upon earth, then understand what is happening. Um, in Revelation, it's from the divine perspective because John's been caught up and 
Figuratively, he's looking down from heaven at these things from God's perspective being poured out. The Lord Jesus is speaking to his disciples and saying, this is what it looks like when you're here upon earth. And so you read Matthew 24, Matthew 25, that's what it is. And Matthew 24, verse 15 says this, When you therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet. What we've been reading. When you see these things happen, when you see that Antichrist, when you see the abomination of desolation is when he goes into the temple, into the holiest of all, sits down and wants to be worshipped as God, gets rid of all world religion. People say, oh, the Antichrist religion is going to be Catholic or it's going to be Islam or it's going to be this or it's going to be that. It's going to be none of these things. It's going to be his religion. He's going to be worshipped. He's going to abolish the worship of any other god. That abomination of desolation. And the Lord Jesus says, when you see that to these disciples representing Israel, what you need to do is flee into the mountains. Get out of there. Because things are going to get terrible for those who remain in the land of Israel. The nation is going to be almost utterly destroyed in that day. Apart from the protection of Michael, the archangel. At that time, when that day arrives, this great prince whose function primarily seems to be the protection of Israel as a people. He's called the Archangel in Jude 9. He fights against Satan and demons in Revelation 12. He is a ministering spirit sent out. And at that time, the Archangel Michael will protect Israel from extinction. Complete and utter extinction. Dale Ralph Davis, who writes really good commentaries in the Old Testament, they're not big and they're very readable, says this, From Daniel 10 we understand Michael to be the warrior advocate of Israel, who takes up the cudgels on their behalf. Dale Ralph David uses the word cudgels. Takes up the cudgels on their behalf. They are unseen legions standing behind the wobbly people of God in their darkest trouble. So there's the people of God, God's ancient covenant people, and all of that tribulation has devastated them as a nation. Seven years. Antichrist is dominating them, sitting in Jerusalem. And if you go to the 666, which is the mark of the worship of the Antichrist, you can't eat, you can't trade anywhere in the world. You're excluded from society. And so he's squeezing them, he's starving them. When he finds them, he destroys them. There are some who are protected to answer what is said in Matthew 24, Matthew 25. It's interesting when you get into this yourself, you discover that God promises if they flee into the wilderness, they will be covered by divine protection in a special miraculous way and there will be a remnant of them preserved, hidden by God from that marauding antichrist and those who work for him. And... Michael, the archangel, is overseeing the protection of that remnant of, of Israel in that coming day. Other, other than that, then they would be destroyed. And so God is going to deliver them when the persecution is at their worst. And in verse number two, he's not only going to deliver them, there's going to be a great resurrection as well at that time. So this is the message of hope for Daniel. That's the, don't lose the big idea of Daniel. You can get lost in the detail. The detail 
is obviously important, but the big idea is important as well. Daniel, these terrible things are prophesied for your people. But there is hope. God never breaks his covenant promises and won't break them to Israel. God will preserve Israel in their coming day. Even in their darkest hour, the archangel is going to preserve them. And there's going to be a great day of resurrection for them. There is hope ahead. So it says in verse 2, many who sleep, many who are dead are going to be raised. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awaken, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. Now, let me just say a word about this. In the Old Testament, um, resurrection is taught and it was believed. For example, Abraham, when he takes Isaac to go up the mountain, he believed, according to the Hebrew writer, that even if he had slain his son Isaac in that altar, the pair of them would walk back down that mountain. That's what he believed. That was his faith. And it was accredited to him in Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews 11. And so when you think about um, Job, and probably the most uh, well-known verse from his book, I know that my Redeemer liveth, and he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms, (laughs) it's quite graphic, destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God, he says. So Job says in the Old Testament, I know my Redeemer lives and I know that if my body goes through the decay of death, that still in my flesh one day I'm going to see God. He's speaking about resurrection. Whom I shall see for myself and not another. Hosea, a contemporary of Isaiah, said in chapter 13, I will ransom them from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. Now here, this resurrection... Some to everlasting life. Now, there are two resurrections. First and second resurrection in scripture. The first resurrection is sometimes called, in Acts 24, the resurrection of the just. John 5 verse 29, it's called the resurrection of life. Hebrews eleven thirty five. it's called the better resurrection. What is this? It's the resurrection of all glorified saints, all believers, all of the redeemed, including Israel called the first resurrection. And it's a resurrection that has three parts. It's called the first, but it's in three parts. And it's a resurrection to eternal life. So Christ was the first part, the first fruits. That's already happened. The second part of this first resurrection is the rapture of the church. So resurrection is going to take place. So the Lord Jesus has been raised from the dead. He's the first fruits. When the Lord comes from heaven to take the church home, there's going to be resurrection again. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. So if you keep this timeline, your idea, Christ first, and then after Christ, the church, those who have died in Christ, raised again. But then at the end of this tribulation period, then there's going to be the raising of those Old Testament saints and the tribulation saints. That is, the the people who have believed God and trusted and saved through faith in Christ during that tribulation period. They will be raised. It's the first resurrection. The second resurrection is the resurrection to shame and everlasting contempt. 
What is that? Well, that's only one part. So you get three parts to the first one, one part to the second. And that is 1,000 years later, the end of the millennial reign of Christ. There's going to be that ultimate final day of judgment when what we call that great white throne scene is going to take place. There's going to be a resurrection of the unjust, those who are not saved, are going to be raised. Raised for judgment. Sometimes we think this, that eternity is going to be experienced in a spirit form. Well, it's not. Eternity will be experienced by in all its fullness with resurrected, glorified bodies. So you're not going to be floating about, you're going to be walking about. And the whole dynamic of eternity is not what we might think as a sort of mystical, floaty sort of scene. There's going to be streets and no doubt buildings and all the rest of it. There's going to be a new heaven, there's going to be a new earth. We're going to be dwelling, the, whole, this new, the holy city, New Jerusalem, is going to come down. And that's a whole other subject, but our eternal dwelling place isn't actually going to be primarily in heaven. It's going to be with resurrected, glorified body in this new earth and new heaven. And so we will experience eternity in all its fullness, not disembodied, but with bodies fitted for eternity. But what is true of the saved person is also true of the unsaved person. They too are going to be raised and they will experience their eternity, not disembodied. There will be a resurrection to judgment. Which is why some of what we may say is simply figurative language may not simply be figurative language about that experience of judgment and woe. And just as our bodies will enable us to experience eternal bliss in all its fullness, then so too those who are raised to suffer will be able to experience that in all its fullness. Some to shame and everlasting contempt. One writer said, in the midst of a time of terrible distress, in the darkness of suffering under the Antichrist, in the horror of Armageddon, in the overrunning power of demonic influence on earth. You know, I remember going through the book of Revelation in the Bible class and the detail of what these seven years uh, will entail for people still alive upon earth is, is literally horrifying. And, uh, you know, demons who are released from the abyss that they're kept in at the moment will be released as one of the judgments upon earth and will come pouring out upon earth. Remember, the church is gone, the spirit of God no longer here, resident, and that evil will just permeate the world. And it says, this writer said this, Michael shall stand during that period on earth as a special defender of God's people. And through the instrumentality of Michael, God shall bring a special deliverance that, that promises to all who believe a special destiny. So in Daniel 12 and verse 3, it says this, They that be wise. Now that, mess, that idea of they that be wise is often wise in relation to God's revelation. So it's those who've responded to the word of God in faith, those who we would call who are saved, redeemed, the believers who've been purged as a consequence. They will be raised 
And their experience is described in this verse. They shall shine as the brightness of the firmament. Now, that is a beautiful expression. I was thinking about that this week, particularly of all the sort of detail, and you can get lost in the detail of this. This just kind of resonated with me. That as you, the, the image is if you look up into the night sky, you see the stars of the firmament, the stars of the sky. That's what the word firmament means. And uh, they all shine, but not all the same. But they are all reflecting to us light. And some reflect stronger, larger than others. But they're all reflecting light. This is the picture of our eternal blessing. We will be reflecting the glory of God in that sense. We will be emanating that. We will be displaying that, not all to the same extent, but just like the stars of heaven. We will be reflecting and displaying the glory of God in eternity with a capacity that is determined by our life of service here upon earth. And the, the blessing that we have through serving faithfully upon earth will be reflected in the capacity we have to manifest the glory of God in that future day. This idea of shining as the stars is not just a poetic idea. And then you have, um, as this whole book comes to an end, you have the end of the vision. <clears throat> and the instruction from verse 4 down um, comes in the form of question and answers. And again, here it just flows quite easily. It says, uh, Daniel, shut up the word, seal the book. The idea is just this. In the ancient Near East, um, people wrote official documents uh, sometimes land documents, and they would make a copy of that document, literally hand copy of the document for their reference and for use, but the original document would be sealed and deposited in a safe place. And so that's the instruction to Daniel from the angel. Look, you've had this revelation, this vision. It's all about your people. It's all about what's going to happen in the future. It's all about the message of hope, that there is divine protection in that coming day, and there is divine deliverance, ultimately in resurrection. Uh, following all of that, there's hope for your people, Daniel. God hasn't cast you off, despite all the trials. And so take this and shut up the vision and store it and make sure it's preserved. And Daniel's completely confused with the whole thing. And he's got this question and answer. How long? How long, how long till all this finishes? And how long is this all going to take? And in verse 5 down to verse 13, you have the description of this question and answer back and forward. And so Daniel asks the question, first of all, he sees two individuals and they're clothed in linen and they're either side of the river. And he asks the question and he's asking how long until all the events um, that he's had revealed, how long does all this take place? And he gets the answer. And remember, he's talking about what I've just been describing, this tribulation period and the, the end of it, and particularly what's called the time of Jacob's trouble, the last three and a half years of it. And it's described in a unique way here. It's described, he gets the answer, time, times, and half a time, in verse 25. And that is often um, interpreted as being um, a, one year, and then two years, and then half a year, so three and a half years. 
And that coincides with other uh, biblical prophecy. And so here he's given, it's going to be three and a half years, when particularly um, Israel is going to be under the caution in that sense. And then he gets a second question in verse 28, because he doesn't really understand that. He says, I heard, but I did not understand. Then I said, O Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? And so how long is this going to take place, and what's going to be the outcome? And he's given the answer uh, thereafter from verse 9 down to verse number 13. And again, you can look at that um, in some detail if you wish to do so. He says, go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed unto the time of the end. He says, many shall purify themselves and become white and refined. The wicked shall act wickedly. During that tribulation period, there will be people who bend the knee to God. There will be people in that coming day, after the rapture, after the church is gone, there will be people who get saved. In fact, many people will get saved in that period of time. And they will cleanse themselves as if it were, and they will be refined, and they will be declared righteous, and others will not, and they shall not understand what the wise do. And then he gives a very precise timeline. And the very precise timeline, just to finish up, is just this. He says, basically, after all of this happens... If you work out the time from Revelation 12 into this section, you discover two extra periods of time. So you've got this three and a half year, and then the Lord Jesus comes back in the manifestation of his power, and the Antichrist is defeated, Armageddon takes place, it all happens. And then you've got an extra 30-day period described here. And then you've got 45-day period described. And without getting right into it, that 30-day period is what they call the judgment of the living nations. So you have these seven-year tribulation years. And the Lord Jesus comes back. And the nations that were around at that time are subject to God's judgment. You might have heard of the separation of the sheep and the goats. That's what's going to take place. And it's a 30-day period for that to take place. And 45 days is also an extra 45 days, and that seems to be for the full millennial reign of Christ to be established upon earth. It's going to take 45 days for it to be done. And so the big idea, because I know some of that is fast and perhaps the detail, it's hard to just hook yourself into that. The big thing is just this, that Daniel, as I say, receives this hugely detailed vision about what's going to happen to his people Israel in a future day. Everything that was prophesied to happen before today has happened. We saw that. Everything that's prophesied to happen will happen. The church is going. Antichrist is coming. The tribulation period is going to be here. Seven years of increasing judgment and awfulness upon earth. Last three and a half years of that focus particularly upon Israel, the time of Jacob's trouble. The Great Tribulation, as it's called, that last three and a half year period. The Archangel Michael will be protecting a remnant of Israel so they won't be extinguished despite his best efforts. And then at the end of that, there will be a great resurrection. There is a future hope for God's covenant people. And they will be blessed eternally in the fulfilment of these kingdom promises that Abraham got in the millennial reign of Christ. And that brings an end to the book of Daniel. Daniel has been 
difficult. And particularly these last chapters, the detail of it can be difficult. I would recommend, as I've done before, that if you are interested in the historical um, detail referenced in these verses, and there's a lot of it, that uh, Jim Allen's book on Daniel is extremely good. And he has got chapters on all of these um, issues that I've just mentioned in a sentence. And he fills in a whole lot of the historical detail. Um, and it's interesting reading. It's not maybe just so much interesting listening. Um, I was to regurgitate it all to you. And so if you're interested in that, that's a really good book to get hold of and to, to get some of the detail. So thanks for coming that we journey through Daniel with us at the Bible class. Appreciate it. And uh, I'm not quite sure what we're going to be doing at Auchinfoil, but Auchinfoil will be the next Bible class um, event. There's no Bible class between now and Auchinfoil, which is the third weekend in June. Um, if you want to stay up Auchinfoil, I think there's still room, so speak to Sharon. Or if you know people who want to stay up Auchinfoil um, in the chalets, just say to Sharon, and she's got a list of people who are coming. And you can get your name in. If you'd like to go up and pitch a tent, why? I'm not sure why you'd want to do that. But if you want to do that, feel free to do it. Or um, bring a caravan or whatever. Um, or you just want to come along on the day, again, feel free to do that. So let's just pray.